Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday, November 20th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martita. Some NHL headlines to get into and an exclusive one-on-one conversation I had with Flyers Hall of Famer and current coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, Rod Brindamore. Uh, That'll be coming up in just a moment. Bill Meltzer will join in just a minute as well. Uh, Real quick to tell you, uh, if you missed any of the past episodes this week, on Monday we talked to Arizona Coyotes coach and Flyers Hall of Famer Rick Tockett on Wednesday's episode. Had a great sit-down conversation, Bill Meltzer and I, with Dave Poulin. You can check both of those episodes out in your queue there, wherever you subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever uh, you consume this podcast. And also coming up next week on Monday's episode, we'll have an exclusive conversation, Bill Meltzer and I, once again, with Flyers Hall of Famer and NHL Hall of Famer Mark Howe. He will be Monday's guest on uh, Flyers Daily as Hall of Fame week continues, and we'll follow it up on Wednesday with Flyers Hall of Famer and NHL Hall of Famer. How about Billy Barber coming up on Wednesday? And uh, Flyers Hall of Fame week, it's leading to a little bit more than a week, but uh, that's a good thing because there's a lot of Hall of Fame players and uh, some of the most impactful players and people on the Orange and Black and this organization over its history in the National Hockey League. But let's get to some news and notes around the NHL, and we'll get to Rod Brindamore in just a moment. And joining me right now is Bill Meltzer. Bill, first and foremost, uh, the league, we know that talks are underway uh, to get the league and the game back on the ice. Gary Bettman is hell-bent, apparently, according to uh, Elliot Friedman. Fried says the commissioner, that date of January 1st, is uh, not, not just saying that. He is targeting January 1st. Uh, going to have to get something done here in the next week, week and a half, probably by the end of November. Uh, what's the latest you're hearing kind of on the return to play and, and how this is going to progress? Because we do have an issue of salary deferral that we're dealing with. Right. Well, if, if there are going to be training camps in the middle of December and you, you realistically need, you know, a few weeks for camp and, you know, you would think an exhibition game or two in that time period. So you're, it's a pretty quick turnaround to when camps would start. And players to get there. And exactly all over the world. So, I mean, it's uh, we're, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at a whole lot of things that have to fall in place pretty quickly. Um, You know, I've heard there might be a 60 game schedule. It might be as little as 48, but, but 60 seems to be the number they, that a lot of people say they're working with here. Um, You know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that that have to happen between now and then, Um, you know, it seems like there's, there's the will to get that done. Uh, they are going to have to figure out the sal- salary deferral side. That's, uh, you know, I know that the uh, the Players Association just had a big meeting about that yesterday. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I guess they can work out the additional 13% deferral or find a number that works for both sides. The other part of it is the schedule to actually pay it out. It's not, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that that's over and above what was negotiated into the CBA. But there was kind of an understanding that, there were probably going to be other tweaks coming. So it's not, it's not totally out of left field, but I mean, this is, this is something that, uh, you know, the, these issues tend not to fall right in place. So something has to happen pretty fast to come to an agreement with, you know, what that percentage will be and what the schedule will be. And then they can, they can move forward with the other logistics of the season. Um, and it looks like, uh, it looks like what the divisions will be is kind of uh now, it's not settled at this point, but it, it looks like it's it's taking shape as to you know the, the what the four divisions might look like. Yeah, and basically, if you just grab a, a map of North America, you can figure it out. Cut off Canada; that's a division. 
Uh, then you're going to have like a, a pseudo northeast division, a southeast division, a Midwest southern division with, I guess, Arizona and Dallas, uh, those teams. And then you'll have your your west division, I guess, with, you know, San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, uh, the teams out there. Uh, Bill, uh, you know, when you're talking about salary deferral, to me, I guess the, the prorating part of it is not even a part of the equation. Um, prorating the salaries is not even it's a non-starter. Um, why would the players be so against the deferral? Because they're going to get the money. It's just a question of when do they get it next year? Is it come over a couple of years? You know, there's some escrow issues as well uh, going forward where they may up it from six and six percent in the final three years of the deal to eight and a half, maybe nine percent. Um, but but the players are going to get the money and play less games. So I, I'm trying to I try to look at it from all sides and all positions. I I know they everybody wants their money and they want it now, but if you're going to get it and you're guaranteed to get it, I I imagine that that wouldn't be an issue. Is this perhaps some posturing here for the players, maybe to try and get something in return, maybe an expanded playoff field as, as a result to bring in more HRR. Yeah, I I think there, I think there's posturing here on on both sides. Truthfully, I think, uh, you know, you described the, the PA side of it very well. And and, and I do think, I do think that, I mean, it, it is not, you know, it's not a rollback. As you said, it's a deferral, um, you know, and, and I mean, you know, players will be getting what sixty something percent right up right up front, but then 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 it'll be rolled in in installments, which they'll which they'll get in full. So it's not like they're. Yeah, I think they're start. guaranteed seventy two percent. Right, right. Which is, so, which is, yeah, yeah, and then you know, then from the league side, I mean, I I think I think once they come to a number they can agree on. I, I don't think it has to, I don't think it's going to be 13% or there's no season. Mm-hmm. I think there's a number that they can both, both work with. So, I mean, I, I think that as with any negotiation, you know, particularly one with a tight turnaround, you know, they, they start with a, a position. Oh, I don't, you know, and then they'll, then they, they have to work, they have to work on it quickly. And, and, and I imagine that will happen because I, I mean, the player players want to play too. And, you know um, I mean, January 1st is, is an ambitious date. It, it's a very yeah. ambitious date, but, uh, you know, but at least get it started as close to that as possible. All these things kind of have to snap into place. And at least for things like, like training camp and whatnot, they at least had the return to play format that they had, you know, before the, before the playoffs. So there's kind of an idea how training camps will work and how ice time availabilities and all of that will go, um, you know, and just doing the division so that there's a Canadian division eliminates at least for the time being you know the border closure and then hopefully as the vaccine gets rolled out and whatnot as as you're thinking ahead towards a playoff kind of format then that issue will be taken care of yeah some of the details uh, in my understanding uh, with uh, the return to play and things maybe they have agreed on but haven't announced yet obviously the start date is one of them maybe we see seems more logical to me about around mid-january to start especially with the seven teams that did not uh, c- compete in the return to play needing an extra probably five, seven days of camp in advance of every other team reporting for mandatory training camp. Uh, also, it looks like teams are going to play in their home building. Uh, there's a naming rights issue to that uh, because, you know, big sponsors pay to have their naming rights. And when you're not playing in your building, you don't get those mentions and those kind of things. Uh, also, as you mentioned, 60, maybe 62 game season period, they can advance right into the playoffs in mid-May. And then they want to have that cup handed out in mid July, that way uh, they can have a, a, a slightly shortened off season and get back to a normal schedule uh, in 2021 for the 2021-22 season. Uh, but we'll see how this all this plays out. It's going to be very interesting to see 
kind of uh, how this gets resolved. I, th- I, I think, Bill, the fact that they're up against a very small window um, benefits the negotiation here in this sense. One, they don't have this period of time that, you know, a lot of runway here to volley back and forth and create scar tissue that they then have to break down to get to a deal. Uh, they basically have to get to the deal and brass tax here really quick. And I, I think that's beneficial um, that they're basically writing the term paper the night before it's due. <laughs> and sometimes maybe you do your best work when you have that urgency. Uh, so maybe that that part of it will help and get this deal done and we can move forward, get the announcement of the games back in the ice, get players back in to their home cities. And, you know, we'll see back-to-back games. The, the Flyers will go to take on uh, the Boston Bruins and they'll play them on a Saturday and Sunday or a Tuesday and a Wednesday. They're going to eliminate uh, a lot of the travel by doing more uh, games in kind of clusters, if you will. Uh, play a team back-to-back in their home building, which should be really interesting. Matt, you know, Flyers-Rangers back-to-back at the Wells Fargo Center. Whether there's fans or there's not fans, uh, there'll be some rivalries that are intensified because of the familiarity that's going to come with this new realignment for a season. Right, and other leagues do that anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, even the American League, you'll you'll play the same team, and not necessarily home and home. Sometimes you'll play the same team in your building back-to-back, and and it it just do keep traveling away away <laughs> exactly yeah well we'll see we'll see how it plays out and uh i, I like the element of uh, that they want to end the season by mid-july um to get back to a relatively normal schedule so you'd have mid-july you'd have your off-season program with your draft starting soon thereafter and then your free agency period and basically the off-season will be lessened by a month for the two teams that go to the cup final and they'll get back into a mid mid-september training camp for 21 22 start the season in October. And remember that season will be interrupted as well, because that's a year where the professional players are going to the Olympics. So we may not see an all-star game for a couple of years, but we just need the game back on the ice. All right, Bill, uh, this is great stuff. You'll hear our Mark Allen interview coming up uh, next week. Uh, But right now I had a chance to catch up with former flyer, flyer hall of famer, and now the head coach of the Carolina hurricanes, Rod Brindamore, and here's that conversation. Very happy to have join us on this episode of Flyers Daily as Flyers Hall of Fame Week continues. Another Flyers Hall of Famer, Rod Brindamore, joins us right now. Rod, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate this. This will be fun. Uh, are you climbing the walls right now with no hockey? Uh, it's that time of really, year. <laughs> not really. Sorry, my alarm went off. Not really. I, 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 I'm pretty busy. I'm actually coaching my uh, nine-year-old, so I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm you know, staying busy, but – Definitely, you know, anxious to actually just have some good news. You know what I mean? Just to hear, like everybody, we want to hear something positive that um, that we maybe have a year, but more bigger picture, like just positive news for the world. You know, like it just yeah. feels like we're all just been dumped on and nothing. It just seems to constantly get worse and worse. So just constantly just hoping for some good news like everybody else. Yeah, a lot of hope, obviously, in the two vaccines that they've released information about, and hopefully that can get our world back to normal quicker than ever and everybody stays right. safe, safe and healthy. Um, how would you have handled this as a player? Because you were, um, a lot of players are very rigid, and yeah. you know your workouts and are legendary and your preparation, not knowing what the date you were preparing for, how would you kind of reacted to that as a player? Well, you know what? They kind of, we kind of had, I don't, it's definitely not anything similar as far as, you know, this pandemic, but in terms of lockout years, you know, that when I played, it was, you didn't know if we were going to play or not, but you just, it's your job as a professional athlete, as a hockey player to just be ready, you know, like, and, and I always view the off season as a time to try to get better. So if I'm not playing, then I'm, should be trying to get better. So that's where the training comes in. That's where you're, you're, 
you know, in the weight room doing whatever to, you know, get better for whenever you do come back. So that's kind of, I always approached it just, all right, more time to try to get better. You, when you retired a decade now, can you believe it's been a decade since you played crazy, right? Um, You moved right into coaching and player development. And I thought that was a great move for you because you'd be such an asset to young players on how they prepare when you were playing. And did you preach this in your player development role to guys and and still now that every off season go in with a plan and come out with something, an improvement, a tangible improvement in one area of your game. Exactly. I mean, you hit it. It's easier said than done. I mean, it's kind of like anything. A lot of people can say it. It's it's doing it right. It's putting things into action. Um, but that was kind of always my goal was, OK, I knew how hard I worked the last summer. It was always, OK, what can I add? Yeah. You know, like, OK, I got I got I know I got to do all this stuff. Now there's this thing over here that I got to add to my routine and that should make me that much better. I don't know if it ever did. It might have made you worse. But the end of the day, that was my mindset. You know, how do you improve? Right. So you, yeah, that's, that is the, what all the players need to be, you know, concentrating on. Rod, let's talk about your journey to get to getting to the Flyers, because you were a first round pick. You were taken all the way back in the 1988 draft, uh, ninth overall, I believe, by St. Louis. Um, and you play a couple seasons there. You break into the league and then you get traded early in your career. And that can jolt a young player. Um, back then and, and even now when you get moved that young uh, what was it like when you heard that news that you were traded first from St. Louis to Philadelphia and what was your first kind of thought when you go oh my god I'm going to Philly yeah I'll try <laughs> to be quick on this but I, I remember it vividly I was uh, in St. Louis and you know Brian Sutter was the coach and he was a real hard ass I don't hope I'm allowed to say that I shouldn't have said it that way but you know okay. it was tough he was tough Mm-hmm. And I was my first coach. So I did, I figured that's how it was in the NHL. And it was, so it was good. But at the time you guys had, or the flyers, you know, they had uh, the Sutter brothers there, or at least one of them at the time, maybe it was Richie. I don't remember who I got traded for, but Bronny and they, he wanted to bring his brothers to St. Louis. And so um, that's really what happened. So I was kind of on the down in St. Louis, as far as my relationship with the coach, I could feel it. And so I was looking for, I was really excited. Like I remember getting called, the phone rang in the hotel and, you know, okay, come, I had to meet the GM in, in the hotel and they, you're, you're in, you're gone to Philadelphia. So I was like, thank, thank, you know, I was very, very excited. And then um, just to get a new start and I'm still only 20 years old or something, 21, but very, very excited. Get to Philadelphia. I get, I'll never forget this. I'm in the hotel getting ready to go to the next, you know, my first day with, with, with the flyers and I get a crank call in the hotel <laughs> And somebody, you know, called the hotel and made some story up that, you know, I got traded again or did something. I just remember oh. going, what is happening here? But this <laughs> is my introduction to Philadelphia, right? So um, it was great, though. And then getting to the Flyers and just having that opportunity. Paul Holmgren was the coach at the time. And, you know, tough guy, too. I mean, yeah. man, tough. But what just a great – I just really like having him around. Like, he was honest. You know, he was just straightforward and – I think he really helped me kind of get back on track and, you know, started my, my career there. Um, at, you're a coach now and you just use the word honest. I love the word because the Flyers had a player in Pitlick, Tyler Pitlick, who I used to refer to him as honest because you always like his ceiling wasn't, he wasn't going to give you 40 goals, but he was always going to give you something honest. And you always knew what it was. You were that kind of player too. Um, I love that word when you describe a player as honest. Yeah. What, what happened there? Why did they let him go? You know, uh, you got the inside. It's on called that? flat cap. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
I got you. That because that's the kind of player that I would think you'd want to keep in your organization. I don't know if I'm allowed to say all that, but I liked him too. <laughs> so I can tell you, you had a, you know, you liked him. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just like when I watch hockey players and, and I know how coaches look at things, it's yeah. at all levels. I mean, you talk about coaching your nine-year-old, you, you want honesty and trust on the ice. And totally. that's what those kind of players are. They may not be the most dynamic players, but their, their basement doesn't have a basement and they always reside on the first floor when you, well, know what you, you build around that too. And, and, you know, it's accountability. It's all the things that, that you said, it goes, it doesn't have to be hockey. I mean, you can be any Life. field. Yep. If you know a guy that you can count on, he doesn't have to be the best in the business, but you're going to want to have that guy with you, you know, and that's the kind of um, really, to be honest with you, that's the players we're looking for here. Like I, when I look at bringing in players and we talk about it, it's like, okay, I, I know we can tell if they're good. You can watch and tell, but what, what's the other stuff? Are, are they, can you count on them? Can you trust them? Just what you're talking about. And I mean, it's no secret. Everybody says that, but it's, it's hard to find. And when you do find those guys, that's why you, you want to keep them. You don't want to yeah. let them go because you just, you never know when you're what you're bringing in, right? Yeah, those are the foundational blocks and the guys that you build an organization around, even though they may not be the most talented. Hey, hey Rod, um, you get to Philly your first year, you score 77 points, you have 33 goals. Uh, why did it work for you from a hockey standpoint here so much? Opportunity. So anyway, it was a little shaky my first couple of weeks. I remember, you know, Homer was coach, but he put me on left wing. I'm like, I'm a centerman. Like, I just need to get a spot. Like, I need to get a shot. And um finally got one it was in new york i remember it I, I the game vividly it was an early game in the islanders and like put me at center and i think the first shift scored a goal and it was a lucky goal banked off my butt or something but you know and then i think it just gave him okay he is a center. you know let's, let's give him another shift let's give him an, and just i had a week where everything went right you know i and so i think it just cemented okay this guy's a centerman now we're not going to look at him, moving him around you're playing center and and then things just took off and um, got a lot of opportunity. And that's really, you know, I've talked about people all the time about opportunity. You got to be ready to take it when you get it, because, you know, you don't know when it's coming around. And I just fortunate that it all kind of clicked that first year. But you get into that, in that team and you guys start to start to really build something. You become a really good team, couple of trades uh, that bring in some more players. And, and eventually you find your way to the Stanley cup finals in 97, um, the final obviously didn't go the way you guys wanted. Uh, it was a shortened season, but uh, talk about the building and the evolution of that team and, and how you, because as one of the leaders on the team as well, how you kind of felt the, 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 the groundswell of you guys becoming legit over the, yeah. the four years that led to it. Well, it was a buildup for sure. I mean, I think when I got there, we, we missed the playoffs the first few years, and, but we were so young and it was, you know, obviously that was Lindros coming in. Um, and, and then LeClaire and we, we just started you seeing the pieces like elite pieces coming together, I think. And, and I've said this on other interviews, maybe not in a Philadelphia sense of interview, but I, that, that team should have won had they kept it together. Yeah. And I think they the mistake they made in, was that in that offseason after we got beat by Detroit. Listen, we went through a year. I, that was the easiest year I've ever had in my life as far as the season was like. We didn't have to play good and we would win. And yeah. then we went to the playoffs that year. I don't think we got pushed at all. I think we, it was like four, five, five, and then we're in the finals, you know, in the, as far as the series. And we hit a Detroit team that was veteran, knew how to win, and they just pounded us. But had we kept that group together, I think that would have been a, a real learning kind of lesson the next time we faced that, you know, like, okay, we yeah. got up our game a little bit. And 
the problem I think we did is we made a bunch of moves that if you look that next year, we had about five or six new faces. And I just think it just didn't gel. Right. Like I wish they would have just kept the group together and say, Hey, go get it again. Yeah. You know, you may run it back. Final, if you remember, we fired the coach and everything. Like, yeah. like that's, it's just weird. Right. It was just a little bit too much change. We made it to the finals people. Like, I think that, you know, I know we want to win, but there's a process. I'm, I'm learning that now too, as a coach, like, it takes, you know, sometimes you have to learn how to, how to win by losing, like be honest with you, just learning that, Oh, there's a little more there to get give. And we never really had that opportunity with that team. Yeah. And when you have that, that loss the year before, had you run it back, you're in a situation where you use that to feed totally. that next season and use oh. it. Look at, look at Tampa this year, right? They go yeah. on to win the cup in the bubble. And what was the feeding for that? That was last year being embarrassed in the first yeah. round by Columbus. Yeah. And they made a couple tweaks. But not not major overhaul. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, it's hindsight. And, you know, they were trying to listen. You got to give Mr. Snyder and, and Clarkie, you know, and the tons of credit for trying. Like they want to win as bad as anybody. And you got to appreciate that uh, being a fan or whatever. But I think that was if I look back on it, I wish they would have just kept us together for a few years and said, OK, we got a good team here. Let's let's have another crack at it. What was it like for you uh, playing in this city with this fan base? Because not every player that comes through Philadelphia is built for this fan base, as we know. Um, some are built for it, and you were. Oh, I loved it. I, I still get – I still – today, my, my biggest disappointing day of my life was getting traded. Like, I, it just – when I think about that day, I'm just – I was crushed. And just because I love being there, but – it, you say it's tough to play. It's not tough to play there if you – you said it earlier, if you're honest. Like, if you mm -hmm. come to play, yeah, they're going to boo you if you didn't win. So what? They still love you if you bring it every day. Like I think that's the best that you could ask for as a player, to be held accountable by the people that are paying your salary. You know, and I think, um, you know, that that to me is special, to be honest with you. And, you know, they always there. Look, I, we had some bad teams that I played in the spectrum. Right. Like it was never, we sold out that thing. I mean, it was packed. Uh, you got to give the flyer fans a lot of credit because they've been through a lot of tough times and uh, they're always there. So I, I loved it in Philadelphia. Um, you know, it worked out for me. Thankfully I got the move down here and it's my home now, but you know, that was a, that was a tough day for me when I got traded. Uh, when you look back at that and, and look, you can, can like the honesty thing we talk about, uh, you can control that, like your will and desire and preparation. Those are like, right. I, you always tell young players, like, these are the things you can, these are controllable. There's a right. lot of things in the game that you can't control. And when the puck drops, but you can right. control your preparation, mm -hmm. physical, mental, and all those things. Um, going down to Carolina, uh, you traded for Keith Primo and eventually down in Carolina, you bring that organization, their first cup, uh, Peter Laviolette was your head coach. Um, what's that moment like to check that box as a hockey player, as a human, to know that you're a Stanley Cup champion and nobody yeah, can ever take that away from you? It's hard to put into words. And, you know, I think the people that have played hockey or in the NHL or been around it, I think they can appreciate it. And I, I not that you can't or anyone else can't, but that was my whole life. Like growing up as a kid, I didn't I didn't dream about, you know, making money and, you know, making the hall of fame or doing like, it was never about that. It was, I, I dreamt about winning a Stanley cup. Like, and so every workout I did, everything in the off season was all about, okay, I, this is what I'm, I gotta, this is why I'm doing this. And so, and my family believed that like my parents, every, everything that goes into being able to play 
growing up, it's, it's kind of comes all out at that moment when you finally accomplish it. Cause you're winning it, not just for you, for everybody that's helped you along the way. And, and your teammates, the same thing, right? And that's why I love hockey. It's the greatest team sport there is. You just, there's no possible way that you can win it alone, right? It's no knock on other sports, NBA, you give me the best player in the NBA, he's probably going to have a chance to win. Yep. You know, it's not hockey. You can put the best player on a hockey team, he's not going to win if he doesn't have other people help him. So I think that's what makes the Stanley Cup so special. Um, so it was – I was actually fortunate to win it at 35 because I think it really <laughs> – it helped me prepare for all those years, you know, that carrot in front of me. Like I got to keep pushing, yeah. you know. And, and you know, and I was special down here with the, the players we had. We had a veteran team, same – so many guys that were on their last legs too – and that's what made it, I think, that much more special for me personally. And you winning at 35, you know how to handle the celebration a little bit better than if you're 22. Yeah. <laughs> Although Ovi at 35 got after yeah. it pretty good, didn't he? Well, see, at 35, I would have thought you couldn't act like that, yeah. right? Even though yeah. you probably wanted to. So yeah. I, mean, I had three kids at the time. So I was like, all right, it's a, a little subdued, but, um, you know, different, right? Different for everybody, I think. But uh, you can tell, I think, genuinely how much everyone appreciates winning that. Yeah, it, it, you see when players and like you are interviewed or when you're handed that cup for the first time, uh, there's a moment of speechless uh, enjoyment. You just don't know even how to kind of deal yeah. with it. Um, you, you, one of your sons uh, plays, your oldest son, Skyler, drafted by Edmonton yeah. uh, back in the 2017 draft. What's that like watching, uh, you know, your son go it. through this career through yeah. through your eyes? It's exciting. I hate it for him right now. Like he's in college hockey and that's just a gong show right now with all this and teams are canceling their years all over the place. So I just don't yeah. even know what's going to happen with him. He's working so hard. You know, he wants to get to the next level. Is he going to have a chance, right? Like, you know, this, this thing affects everybody differently. Um, but, but last year watching him play kind of progress, he was a freshman um, at Queen of Quinnipiac university with, they have a real good hockey program. And yep. I, I, I mean, I get a lot of joy in watching my kids now. And, you know, like I say, I'm coaching my nine-year-old. I got a nine-year-old, you know, I feel like I'm, at the rink all the time, but I just, I enjoy it. Enjoy seeing them do what they like to do. It, uh, during the pandemic, during the pause and, and all the rinks shut down in North America, um, there, it was weird. Cause I missed the smell of hockey. Um, Cause I have kid, two kids to play too. And I'm oh, always in the good. rink. I still play beer league for some dumb reason at 48. Um, <laughs> but I, I missed the smell of the game, the hockey rink smell. Did, did you kind of go through that too? Or, like you just, I felt like I wasn't connected to the earth because yeah. hockey's been there my whole life. And to not, it was the longest I had gone without being in a rink and since, yeah. I, since probably before might. Yeah. I think that's part of it for sure. Um, it, even when we got back to playing uh, that during the, you know, the playoffs there, it, it didn't feel right for me uh, because we were missing something and it was the fans. It was that, you know, it was great to be able to do it. I think we all have a better appreciation for just being able to play. And I think everyone has a better appreciation of just going outside and having, you know, being able to go down the street and not have a mask, you know, like at some point we're going to be like, wow, we were pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, but I think as a hockey guy, you realize, man, we're pretty fortunate to play a game for a living or to coach a game for a living. I mean, I think that's been the reality, but it certainly wasn't the same. Um, we, we, I missed it. I, I missed it like everybody else. I kind of still am fortunate. Like we, we, we have a lot of guys here. And so I see them all the time. They're training. So I don't feel like I'm kind of quite, you know, out of it. Um, it all just feels like a long off season, you know, but yeah. uh, I can tell you the miss having not the fans in the rink was just 
It was not good. We miss that. That's what makes hockey so special and playoff hockey. Like this, the right. atmosphere, the atmosphere in NHL for a live hockey game, it beats everything that I've ever been to. Yeah. I, I kind of likened it to looking at like in the Northeast, looking at like the Jersey shore in the winter time. Like you remember it in the summer when it's full of people, everybody's, you know, got canned coolies and drinking and eating. And then you see it in the winter and it's just depressing because it's dank and it's gray and there's nobody there, but the ocean's still there. So the game's still there, but yeah, the waves are still going. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a weird feeling. Hey Rod, um, good luck coming up this season. Um, I know that uh, you guys are really building something down there that that you're proud of. And your first two years went really well. You got some really good uh, players. I got to ask you about Ajo. Boy, the talent on this kid, yeah. unbelievable, right? He's got to be a thriller special, coach. Special, the talent, and we talked about it, but I go back to the other part of it. It's that, you know, that intangibles, but that good person. Like, he, he's about what you want. Like, you want that on mm-hmm. your team. He could have been – he could be not the best player. That I would you'd still want him in that locker room because of what he, he's about and that honesty and, you know, I know what I'm getting every day. And he has a will to win, which I think will propel, propel this team at some point mm-hmm. to, you know, to winning, you know, because he wants to win as bad as anybody. Well, you pulled a gutsy move too, by the way, putting Reimer in the one game when you guys were in the bubble. I, I was going, Ooh, I don't know about that move. Cause Morozik, we had him here for a little bit too. And you know, Pete, yeah. he, he's a, a rhythm goalie. So when he feels it, you know, you want to ride him a bit, no. but boy, the move that you made and put rhymes in that game was a huge one. Well, worked out too, right? Yeah, it wasn't honestly. It's funny with my goalies. I don't really take a lot of like credit because I got a goalie coach. I'm like, hey, what's the plan? You know, (laughs) this to get the best out of these guys, you got to do this, this, this. Okay, good. That's it. End of discussion. I don't go any farther past it because I like both guys. They're both good. Yeah, and you know, they they understand that they that's how it works. And so you're right. Coaches, it's funny, right? You get credit if it works out and you just get blasted if it doesn't. And you got to have thick skin, I think, to do this. That's for sure. Well, Brian Burke always says uh, 80% of hockey is goaltending. Unless you don't have it, then it's 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you're pulling it out of your net, you make a mistake. It's uh, it's yeah. handicaps you mentally to be able to play. Hey, Rod, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Um, I know Flyer fans are going to be thrilled to hear you. It was a cool ceremony back a few years ago hey, when you got this- in. And you're on the bench. That was pretty cool, right? Yeah, that I listen. I love my time with Philadelphia, and and even now, I can't believe it. It's been so long, but when I come back, it's the people there. That's what makes it so special to be a Flyer. I'm telling you, that's why guys love playing there. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm looking at your wall behind you. You got the old Bernie Berhant mask there. I mean, that guy's still around. I know it. I love Bernie, like legend, right? Everyone that walks through there and done it right. I think the, the city loves you, and and uh, and that's what makes it special to be there. Yeah, when you play honest like you did, you become family, and family never leaves. So, Rod, uh, best of luck coming up this season. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you. Always great to hear from Rod Brindamore. Oh, what a great flyer he was. I loved his answer when he talked about uh, when he knew, found out he got traded from the Flyers and how much it crushed him. He was perfect for this city, the style of play, the type of player that he was. And uh, it's a shame that he went on to Carolina and uh, ended up winning a cup there. We would have loved to have seen him 
win a cup here in Philadelphia. Uh, but glad that he got a cup before he got out of the game, winning that cup with Carolina way back in the early part of the 2000s. Thanks to Rod Brindamore for joining us. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us. Again, Mark Howe on Monday's episode as Flyers Hall of Fame Week continues, and Billy Barber will join us next week on Wednesday for that episode. Uh, if you can leave us a rating and review, we would always appreciate that. That helps other Flyer fans find this podcast. In the meantime, everybody have a great weekend. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk to you on Monday's episode of Flyers Daily. Oh,